Uh, Joshua chapter 2 in your Bible or electronic device. Uh, today's lesson is on Rahab. And if you know anything, I'm sure you've heard that wild story. Rahab alone was a believer in the, in the city of Jericho. So she was alone, isolated, very much like the bubble boy in today's lesson. <laughs> you figured it out. All right, so the, the story of Rahab, I mean, you've probably heard it all your life, but if you're like me, you didn't really understand what was going on here. I think we have some maps to kind of show you uh, where this all takes place and a little bit about what's going on. Uh, as you can see the map here, you can see on the right side, Mount Nebo is where Moses went up and died, and right before he went up, he gave the sermons at the uh, Jordan River right there across from Jericho, as you can see on the map. That's the Dead Sea down here, uh, the Jordan River going north and south into the Dead Sea. Uh, and so Joshua and about two or three million Israelites are camped. There you go. They're camped here at Abel Shittim. And... Uh, that is an interesting word there, Abel Shittim. I said, I was like a bubble boy. I think that's a misprint, you know. But it's not. I looked it up, and it's it's the uh, Semitic word for the the acacia. What he acacia plant, uh, and so it's a, a bush that grew in that area that they named it after. So. It's not a dirty word. Uh, so they're camped there at Abel Shittim, uh, and they're getting ready to cross into Jericho uh, to take the city because the highway that goes into the central highlands of Israel that they have to take to attack the nation, the, or the, or the Canaan at that time became Israel, uh, they had, to, they had to take Jericho first. They couldn't leave a fortified city with a large army behind them. So they had to take Jericho and then move up the, the uh, highway into the central highlands. Um, and so the first thing they had to do when they crossed the river is take Jericho. So in today's story, naturally, they're going ha- to need to scout it out. And so uh, Joshua sends two spies... Uh, disguised, I think they're, they tried to be disguised anyway, into Jericho to scope it out, to see, to map it out, to see what was going on in there, how big the army was and how many people, how thick the wall was, etc., etc. Really map the place out. And so that sets the tone for today's lesson. Um, and Rahab is really the central figure on this. And I think... Uh, what happens to her in this story really explains, you know, one of the great questions that people always have that just baffles them uh, and they can't seem to find the answer is the question, what about those who've never heard? Because as Christians we all say that everybody uh, needs Jesus in order to be saved, in order to go to heaven. And people say, well, that is a little exclusive because what about those who've never heard? And I think the answer to that question is in today's story. We'll see 
that if there was anybody that's more unlikely to have heard or to be saved, it's Rahab. I mean, she's really, if it's left to uh, natural causes, she's never going to be saved. I mean, she's part of the Canaanites, and if you remember what Moses commanded them in Deuteronomy, we went over this last week, Moses said, when you go into the land, the Canaanites are so evil and so horrible, do not leave a single one alive. They will corrupt you, they will destroy you, they'll bring you down. And this is a judgment by God against their incredible depravity and evil. So this is not only God giving you the land, this is God bringing a judgment against the Canaanites, very much like uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, or God destroyed the world through the flood. Why? Because sin had reached such a terrible level that God had to, His holy, the holiness of His nature, He had to judge it and, and end it. And so uh, we're told in Deuteronomy 7, and then again in Deuteronomy 20, when you go into the land, uh, kill every one of them. Don't leave anybody alive. And so we're going to be surprised in today's story when we see that there's going to be some exceptions. Of course, that's Rahab. And if there, like I said, if there's any, ever anyone who is more unlikely to become a believer and be saved, it was Rahab. She had everything going against her. So much so, one theologian called her, that I was reading, called her Rahab contramundum. And if you've taken Latin, obviously this crowd hadn't. <laughs> but if you've taken Latin, you know what that means. Contramundum means against the world. Rahab against the whole world. And where he got that, he recalled the early 2nd century church fathers who were persecuted and martyred by the Roman Empire. And he brought up Athanasius and Justin Martyr. And he said that uh, when Athanasius was led to be slaughtered, he said, be the whole world against me. Still, I will believe in Jesus as my Savior. So I am Athanasius contramundum. Be the whole world against me. I believe in Jesus. Athanasius. And of course, Justin Martyr, coached Contra Mutum, and of course, Justin Martyr, he wasn't named for nothing. You know, you know he was martyred, is where he got his name. Uh, and in today's lesson, we study uh, Rahab Contra Munda. She's alone in this horrible center of depravity, one believer in the God of Israel in this whole city. So, Rahab against the world. Can a lone woman from a brothel, not only that, we're going to find out that she's a prostitute. She's the madam at the local house of ill repute. What chance has this woman got? She lives in a terrible Canaanite city. She is a prostitute. She runs a house of prostitution. She's got no chance, I don't think. If we got that map about everything that's going against her. Yeah, she's a Canaanite, the most evil people in the world to begin with. Uh, and then secondly, she's a woman that lives in a society, and at that time, women were viewed as property. So who cares about them? Not, not today, not, not now. 
then. That, that was then. Uh, <laughs> so like I said, she was an immoral prostitute. And we'll see in the story that she lies. And, uh, of course, she had a lack of information. How does she know who the God of Israel is? See? She doesn't have a Bible. She doesn't have me there to tell her. <laughs> so she's, I mean, how can this woman ever believe and be saved? See? And go back one, Larry, to the providence of God. And the answer is the providence of God. This is how evangelism works. This is how people, whether it be you and I or someone on the mountaintop of Tibet or in China or Africa, wherever you are, this is how everyone is saved by the providence of God. Uh, and so I looked up the definition, the wisdom and power which God continually uses in the preservation and government of the world for the ends which he has proposed to accomplish. Uh, simply said... God uses all the natural things that are going on in the world, in your life, all your circumstances, good or bad, to work together for good to bring you to the Lord. Uh, and the rules of the providence of God, He never acts in any way in conflict of His attributes or His revealed will. So God never lies, He never tricks, He never deceives. Uh, he cannot act against His will. But He also acts injustice as well okay so he's not only grace and mercy and compassion and love but it's also justice and another rule God does not negate free will just because God is actively involved in evangelism and he causes things to work together circumstances to bring people to Christ uh, he does not negate free will. People still, in a sense, have to exercise their free will to receive Christ as their Savior. And providence is distinguished from the miraculous. When you think this is not a miracle, a miracle is something that's supernatural, right? So a miracle uh, is when God intervenes in the natural order of things. Like the crossing of the Red Sea, when God parted the Red Sea. Next week, he's going to pardon the Jordan, I mean, uh, apart the Jordan River so they can walk across, right? That's God intervening in the natural order of things to change what's natural. But if providence is distinguished from that. It's God working within the natural order of things. So it has to do with the people that you come into contact with, the circumstances that you find yourself in. All of that works together to move you from point A to point B, right? Uh, and that's the providence of God. So God works providentially behind the scenes and within the natural laws. And so you look back at when you were converted, whether you were five years old or whether you're, you know, it was yesterday. There were events and circumstances and people that were involved. But God was bringing it all together. He was behind the scenes working everything out for the good. So the providence of God, Rahab also is going to be saved. So uh, she seemed to have everything going against her, but God knew her heart, and God was involved in her life, and God sends the spies in the story today God sends the two spies to her house. 
and we get into the story, you'll see, you'll have to ask yourself the question, why did they go to Rahab's house? And of course, if you're, uh, you know, carnal in nature, you'll think they're mixing business with pleasure. See, it's a, it's a brothel, you see. Uh, but it is kind of strange that they would go to Rahab's house. It just happened to be where the one person that believed in the God of Israel was. What a coincidence, right? This is the providence of God that we're talking about. So they come there, and now she gets her opportunity to profess her faith and, and uh, come, become a part of Israel because they came to her house. So if there's hope for her, there's hope for anyone in the world. She is the most unlikely person in the world to, to believe and to be saved. And she was by the providence of God. Uh, she had, as I said, no Bible, no evangelist. But she had heard of the God of Israel. She was aware. She, she lived and worked at a place where there was a lot of travelers. That was a border town. And so anyone coming into the area would come through there. And they, the men would probably, a lot of them would visit that place. And she would hear everything that was going on in the world around them. And she probably heard these stories about the Israelites being saved from slavery in Egypt. And how they had been brought out miraculously and crossed the Red Sea and defeated the Amalekites. And God had miraculously fed them in the wilderness and they traveled uh, around in the wilderness for 40 years and come to the river now. And so she'd heard all this and now she looks across the river and sees this great mass of people and she believes. She believes. She had limited input but because of the providence of God she believes in the Lord. Uh, and of course uh, this is precisely what you and I are called to do. Take the information that we have and seek out the Lord our God and believe in His name. This is really what we've done as well. Uh, so we look at the text in Joshua 2. Joshua sends in the two spies and you're saying, maybe, why only two? <laughs> well, back at Kadesh Barnea, we looked at this last week, uh, they sent in 12 spies. And what happened? The majority came back with a bad report and told all the people, and so they didn't go in. So Joshua, using his noggin, says, I'm going I'm to pick out the two right guys, and I'm just going to send those two guys in, and they're going to report to me secretly. This is going to be between me and them. This isn't going to the people. I want to know uh, where everything is and how many they have and how big and etc., etc. So I'm sending these two guys in. Uh, and so... <laughs> Did they, the question is, did they really need to map out the land? Is this even necessary? And the answer is no, because we know the story. God's going to knock down the walls to the city. They don't need to know how thick they are or how many people are in there. Well, God's going to do it. It's going to be miraculous. So they don't really need this, but somehow these two spies providentially end up at Rahab's house. 
as we go through the story, you'll see no one else is even named. Only Rahab is. And nobody else in the story has got a lick of sense. The two spies are wandering around. They were supposed to come in disguised and, you know, so nobody would notice them. Well, they, their disguises are so bad. I think they probably had those Groucho marks disguises on, you know. With the, yeah. And uh, they, were, they were seen immediately at the gate and followed to Rahab's house. And they were reported to the king there of the city, the governor of the city or whatever. And so they're buffoons. And they don't know what to do or where to go or anything. They accomplish nothing in the story. The soldiers that are sent to arrest them, they believe her whopper, and they go out wandering in the wilderness for about four days. <laughs> They're still out there wandering around, as far as we know. So nobody in the story has any sense except Rahab. The story is about Rahab. And think how, how incredible that is. After God had told them to go in and slaughter all the Canaanites to end all the evil of the Canaanites, what is the first story about? God's grace and mercy toward the one person in that city, one lady, one woman that believed in God and was seeking Him, God sent them in to get her. That's what this is about. They thought they were going in to spy it out. They were going in to save Rahab. That's what this is about. See? It's about saving our gracious and merciful God saved this one person. So now we know that when Moses commanded them to do that, that there would be exceptions. Anybody that would believe in God and repent Confess their sin and repent and come to the Lord in belief and faith would be saved. And so is Rahab. And so are we, by the way. This exact word, just like her. See? So the first great story in the Bible, I mean in the book of Joshua, which is supposedly about wiping out the Canaanites, is a story of saving a Canaanite woman, a prostitute. I mean, it's, it's really pretty, imagined, pretty amazing. In a story of judgment, God reaches out to save one woman. So this story is really about God's mercy and grace. Did she deserve it? Did she earn it? No. And we saw everything was against her. She was a, a prostitute, immoral. She was a liar. She was part of this Canaanite culture. She had nothing going for her. Totally undeserving. But that's the way God works. Remember what Jesus said when the Pharisees, what are you doing hanging around with all these sinners? Remember what Jesus said? I came into the world to save sinners. Not the righteous people like you. Meaning the self-righteous people. Right? Christ came to save sinners. He came to save Rahab. So she did have something going for her. She had a heart for the Lord and she was seeking God. Jeremiah 29, 13 and many other passages say, if you will seek me, God says, if you will seek me, you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. And that's the thing. Anybody, anywhere in the world 
that is seeking God, really seeking the truth, God will reveal Himself to them. Uh, my Wednesday Bible study, I think last year we were talking about this. And, and uh, somebody said, well, what about the guy on the mountaintop of Tibet? And it just so happened to be a guy who's on staff with East West Ministries. And he says, I got him last week. <laughs> That guy received Christ up there on the mountaintop and he had a picture on his camera, on his phone. And he passed it all around. And it was this little, uh, those little Sherpa guys. This little Sherpa guy up over the top of the mountain in Tibet. How is that guy ever going to hear? By the providence of God, this guy, Mike, climbed up on the top of this mountain. And this guy was saved. So that's what's going on here. Anybody that seeks him will find him. Um, I can just imagine her listening to the stories of the travelers about what was going on over in Egypt and how these Israelites uh, had been saved from slavery and, and what have you. And think about her from her point of view. Was this risky? Was this risky? Contramundum? It was against everything. Against her people, her city, her nation, her culture, her previous religion. Yeah, she was risking her life helping the Israelite spies. She risked her life. She turned against her own people. Uh, she was going to give up her occupation, which obviously was a good thing. But I mean, when you make your living and yet you, you give it up, it's not an easy thing to do. Uh, but because of her belief, she was going to be separated from that evil environment and she was going to join God's people. In fact, what happened historically to Rahab? Where, where do we find her? Where do we find her? First of all, in the New Testament, you may be saying, well, how do we know she was really saved? Maybe she just helped the spies because she was a good Samaritan. How do we know she was really saved? Well, uh, have we got the... Uh, yeah. It's always great when the New Testament interprets these things for us, right? And so we have in Hebrews 11, names Rahab by faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. Uh, and then in uh, James 2.25, James is talking about the relationship between faith and works. And what he's saying is, you know you have the faith when works proceed from the faith. If you have the faith, there will be works. And so he's talking about he knew, we know that Rahab had the faith because Rahab was justified by the works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. So we know she had the faith because of the works that she did. That's what James is saying. And notice that all the New Testament authors call her Rahab the harlot. Because I, I read some liberal commentators that say, well, uh, that Hebrew word could mean one of several things. And... Uh, Scholars today don't really think she was a prostitute at all. She was probably, you know, and you go, what? Come on, man. Rahab, the New Testament authors want you to know that she was a prostitute. 
And they all call her. Even after she's saved and becomes a part of Israel, a proselyte, and marries a prince of Judah in, in Jerusalem, in uh, the city of, uh, I mean, in the tribe of Judah, even then, they still call her Rahab the harlot. Why? Because they, they want you to know that she was saved by grace. Period. Not because she reformed. She was a terrible sinner when she believed. And she was forgiven. Just like we are. As well. So, she had everything at stake, but she gave it up for what she believed in. And she ends up marrying, uh, like I said, a prince of the tribe of Judah, Salmon, and his son Boaz, who you find in the book of Ruth, and they had a son, Obed, who had a son, Jesse. And Jesse's son was David, King David. And of course, Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, is a descendant of David by all the prophecies. And he's in, you can find uh, Rahab, in the genealogy in Math, of Jesus in Matthew 1, verse 5. Think of that. The providence of God, an, an ancestor in the line of Jesus Christ is Rahab the harlot. Does that blow your mind? Well, it should. <laughs> exactly. So, God was involved in this and it was His plan all along. God knows hearts. in. Uh, Truthfully, our background is just like her background. We're, we're all born into a fallen world. We're all alienated from God being a part of this fallen world and having the nature of man that we have. And God has called us out of that world to believe in Him and to be saved, which we have done. And one of the... Because you can look at yourself, see, and you can say, who are you? I can say... Charlie Contramundum. Against all odds, against all the world that was, you know, I've come to Christ. And you can put yourself in the same sentence. Name yourself Contramundum. Against all odds, you have been saved. Right? Why weren't the other people in Jericho saved? Just like the people in the world today who are not saved. They cling to this world and everything in it. They have a false sense of security. What was their security? They thought the river would say, they'll never cross this river. They thought the walls of the city, they'll never get in these walls. Our fortifications are strong. We've got a stronger and more advanced army with better weapons. They put their faith in that instead of the Lord. Well, look at the text. You thought we'd never get there, but... <laughs> then Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men as spies secretly from Shittim, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house. They came into the city and went right to the house of a harlot. <laughs> like I said, why would they go there so quickly? <laughs> and the madam there was Rahab. And it was told the king of Jericho, hey, these two guys are obviously Jews, came in and we followed them to Rahab's bordello. 
So the king of Jericho sent word, sent his soldiers over there, said, bring out those men we saw go in your house. And she said, yes, the men came in, but, but uh, we didn't know who they were. And it came about when it was time to shut the gate at dark, the men went out. They left the city. They're out there. You go chase them out there. <laughs> uh, but the truth is, verse 6, she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them in the stalks of flax which she had laid in order on the roof. They were up there drying. So the soldiers pursued the men on the road outside of the city, <laughs> wandering around out there chasing in a wild goose chase. And before the, the Jews laid down up on the roof, she came up to them. And she said to the men, here's her profession of faith. Here's how they know that she wants to be one of them, that she believes as they do. She says, I know that the Lord, and the definite article is there, by the way, the one and only Lord, has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came up out of Egypt and when, what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, Sion and Gog, whom you utterly destroyed. And when we heard it, our hearts melted and we had no courage remaining in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. There's your profession of faith. The Lord God of Israel is the one and only God above and on earth, of course, that He created. Now therefore, please swear to me by the Lord, since I have dealt kindly with you, that you also would deal kindly with me, that you'll spare me and let me join you. And spare my family as well. So the men said to her, you got a deal. Our life for yours. We put your life on, you put your life on the line. We put ours on the line too. And it shall come about when the Lord gives us the land that we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. We'll let you be a part of it when the Lord gives us the land. Then she let them down by a rope through the window for her house was on the city wall. So her house was built right up against the wall and she had a window in the wall and she let them down outside the wall. And she said to them, go to the hill country. Don't go down to the river. That's where they'll be looking for you. You go up the other way and wait a couple of days, for three days, and then they will have come back and then you can go your way. And the men said to her, we shall be free from this oath. So they made a deal. If, if, if you're not in this house and you don't mark it accordingly, then we won't be responsible. So they said... We come into the land, you tie this cord of scarlet. You've probably heard the scarlet thread, right? So they tie the scarlet thread outside the windows so they'll know which house it was that they want to spare. And it should come out to anyone that goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head. Y'all stay in the house. And don't tell us, verse 20, uh, keep this secret. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window and they departed and came to the hill country just like she said they went the opposite direction remained for three days and then went back to see uh, their master Joshua General Joshua right 
Then the two men returned and came down from the hill country, crossed over, came to Joshua, the son of Nun. Now, I would like to have been there for Joshua, his conversation with him. I'm sure they came in. He said, God, I've been waiting on you guys. Where have you guys been? All right, give me the maps. Let's lay the maps out that you drew and let's see where everything is. Well, um, uh, we, didn't, we don't have any. Okay, well, you measured the wall. How thick is this wall? Uh, no, we, we, we didn't do that. Well, uh, draw out. You, let me see the diagram of the city where everything is. No, we didn't, we didn't go anywhere in the city except this one place. Well, where is it that you went? The house of prostitution. Oh. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to hear that conversation? So you went one place, a bordello. And that's all you got for me. They go, no, we got what you really need. And they, this is the intel that they give him, and it's the best thing they could have said. Verse 24, they said to Joshua, Surely the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And all the inhabitants of the land over have melted away. Just like Rahab had said, everybody here is scared of you. All you got to do is come in and they will run for the hills. Right? That's the best news he could have had. Because God, as we know, is going to knock down the walls. They don't need to know how thick the walls are or where, where anything is. God's going to take care of all that. What they really need to know is that God has prepared the Canaanites to lose. So they have all they got to do is show up, which is, of course, what they're actually going to do. That's really, and the, we'll see next week, that's really all they end up doing is just showing up. Uh, and so, in conclusion, when you consider what we talked about to begin with, the providence of God, the one believer in a whole city, they spies just happened to go there. And of course she is saved. The spies actually find out precisely what they really needed to know. They thought they needed to know all this other stuff. They didn't. What they really need to know, what everybody in the city was thinking. And they got that. They didn't need the maps. They didn't need info on the walls or the armaments or anything. They just needed to know that God had put the fear of God in these people. So from our perspective, we see that a terrible sinner, Rahab the harlot, New Testament makes no bones about it, who she was beforehand. We see that she has a heart for God, and in spite of her previous character, she believes in Him and is seeking Him. And by the providence of this gracious God that we have, He found her. He sent the spies to her. And she was found. And in the same way, we also are just like Rahab. Rahab, right? We were out there wandering around not knowing which end was up. But we had this belief in our heart that God is there. And there's something more important than me and just the things that are going on in this world. That there's a creator in the universe. And so God has called us also who are seeking Him out of this world. And we, therefore, you, as I said, you could 
Just put your name on there. Jeff Contramundum. Just say it. Hey, let's say it with me. On the count of three, we all put your name on there and say Contramundum. One, two, three. Charlie Contramundum. That's right. You got it. There's one thing you you learn from this lesson. You go out and they'll go, well, what'd you learn at that Bible study? Just say, Contramundum. And really, what are you saying when you say that? Uh, We are in this world, but we're not of it. We're not of it. Did you read the paper this morning? All the wild and crazy and depraved things that are going on out there? We live in that depraved, fallen, despicable, evil world with all that horrible stuff, the violence and all the immorality, but we're not of it. See? Rahab left that world. She left that world, became a part of God's people. We find her in chapter 6. In a couple of weeks, she'll be, she'll be there and she'll be with Israel. And she intermarries and she has children. And as I said before, Jesus Christ is one of her descendants, which is just amazing. Why did they go to Rahab's house? The providence of God. What about those who've never heard? Leave it up to God. Like, you, like they said, you know, what about the guy on the mountaintop of Tibet? Well, you're right, I can't get there. But God sent that other guy up there. He's in good shape. <laughs> I can't go climbing any mountain, but that guy can. The providence of God. The sovereignty of God in evangelism. Leave it up to Him. We doubt it because we couldn't do it. But this is an act of God. See? So, we say our name, and against all odds, God has saved us, just like Rahab. Let me close in prayer. Lord, thank You so much for blessing us. Thank You for this story and what it means to us. Thank You for Rahab. Thank You for Your grace and Your mercy in our lives as well as hers. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.